Good morning. It's uh, awesome to be with you this morning to share the word. I, I haven't heard Kylie last week. She shared a joke, and so I thought I would start our service today by sharing a joke of my own. One Sunday morning, Eric woke up to find his wife standing over him, shaking him by the shoulder. You have to get up, she said. We have to get ready for church. I don't want to go to church, he replied. I want to stay in bed. And so crossing her arms over her chest, she demanded, and she says, well, give me three reasons why you should stay in bed and not go to church. Okay, he answered, first, I don't get anything out of the service. Secondly, I don't like the people there. And thirdly, no one there likes me. Now, can you give me three reasons why I should go to church? And so his wife responded, first, it will do you some good. Secondly, there are people who really do like you, and they'll miss you if you aren't there. And third, Eric, you are the minister after all. Friends, it is so good to be able to laugh on a Sunday morning as we gather for worship. This morning we get to continue the sermon series of Acts 29. And today together we look at Paul and Silas and the time they spent in prison. In his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela comments about the conditions of South African prisons during apartheid. And there are two quotes that stand out for me that I want to share with you today as we reflect on Paul and Cyrus captive in this prison. Mandela wrote these words. The first quote, he says, It is said that no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. The second is, A nation should not be judged by how it treats its higher citizens, but its lowest ones. Friends, we pick up our reading today where in Acts 16, 25 to 34, and we'll pick it up where Paul and Silas find themselves in jail. They endure suffering, but while they're in prison and are enduring the suffering, they still dig deep and they are able to worship God. And so I invite you to join me as we read together from Acts 16, from 25 to 34. And I'll be reading from the NIV translation. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourselves, we're all here. And so the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. 
The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And so we give thanks to God for his word today. Amen. Friends, Paul and Silas, these two missionaries, find themselves in the middle of a story where there is this slave girl who has a power of fortune-telling. And we read a little earlier before our scripture reading today that this slave girl followed them. And as she followed them, she was shouting out that they are servants of the Most High God. She was right. But a demon-possessed fortune teller who would not have been Paul's choice for a PR manager to announce his arrival in a city or why he was there. You see, Scripture tells us that the slave girl is possessed and her owners, in fact, are capitalizing by getting her to tell fortunes and exploiting her. No wonder the Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. You see, Paul had had enough. He'd had enough of this, and, and the slave girl was following him wherever he went, and, and he got to a point where he turned around, and, and he told the spirit within her to leave her. And he did this in the name of Jesus Christ, and it was in that moment that the spirit left, and that's exactly what happened. The spirit left her, and she lost her ability, her powers, these psychic powers, But unfortunately, her owners were outraged because in that time when Paul did this, their source of income suddenly dries up. They are understandably mad at Paul and Silas, and they start to whip up the crowd, and they resort to the usual device for ripping up a crowd. They play to the fact that Paul and Silas are foreigners, and they are doing things that foreigners do. And that they're not part of the community. They don't belong here. And as they do this, you can imagine this crowd to start stir and gather around them. And and the crowd begins to turn on Paul and Silas. And the magistrates get involved. But they get involved not to protect the two missionaries, but to sentence them. And they sentence them without a trial to whipping and imprisonment. And so our two missionaries are handed over to the city's jailer for their sentence to take effect. And now this morning I want to spend some time on focusing on the jailer specifically. You see, the jailer was an important figure within the Roman city. He was a civil servant. He had complete control of who went into the prison and and what went on within the prison and he could do pretty much anything he wanted to within that prison environment. It was his job normally to brutalize the person involved. He would show no mercy and would probably derive quite a bit of sadistic pleasure from dishing out the punishment. And so Paul and Silas in modern day terms are placed in a maximum security prison, and they are locked in. And I can just imagine the excruciating pain they must be in. They've just endured a severe flogging, and they've bruised, and they've been beaten, and 
And now they've been thrown into this uncomfortable prison. But even though all of this is happening to them, they try to keep their spirits up. And they start singing and they praying and they singing and they praying. And I'm always intrigued by Luke's comments here that, that tells us that the other prisoners were listening. The other prisoners were listening to the prayers that would be offered and, and the songs that were being sung. I've even heard sermons before about how inspiring Paul and Silas must have seemed if the others took the trouble just to listen to them. Remember, the others are prisoners. Their, their lives are also in danger. Uh, they would probably be chained to the wall. They would have also endured pain and suffering. But here we find ourselves in the middle of the night and with not many other sounds. And the prisoners had no choice but to listen, to be ministered to by Paul and Silas. But then something amazing happens, and it's around midnight, Scripture tells us. There is a violent earthquake, and the prison is shaken to the extent that all the doors burst open. Now, I'm sure you would agree with me. Now, you don't really want to be in charge of a prison with all the doors being open in the middle of the night. You see, the jailer, although he had complete control of the prison, he was also the one who held all the responsibility for what went on within that prison. And one of the interesting things is that one of the Roman laws which covered issues of justice said that any jailer who lost his prisoner would be subject to the penalty that was dished out for the prisoner who got away. And Roman penalties were not like things that we experience in our world today. It was not community service or being released with an ankle tracking tag on your leg. It would almost mean certain death or at very least losing a limb. And so you can just imagine this jailer finds himself in this situation. The earthquake would have been enough on its own. After all, violent earthquakes are really scary events. But on top of that traumatic moment, the jailer knows that the doors of the prison are open. And if they've got any sense, any prisoners who were actually chained to the walls would either be running straight at the jailer or trying to escape. And so this jailer, I would imagine, finds himself in a position where he's saying, I'm either going to lose my job or my life, but it's going to be one of them for sure. And so scripture tells us how this jailer pulls out his sword and, and somehow in the darkness before he tries to kill himself, Paul calls out to him and reassures him that all the prisoners are still in place and maybe they're even still chained up. But then the jailer comes to the cells and he comes to Paul and to Silas and he's shaking like a leaf and he asks Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can you just hear the seriousness and the urgency in his words? Sir, what must I do to be saved? 
Now I know we can really never know what was going through that jailer's mind, but I suspect it definitely wasn't a theological question or a time for biblical debate. This man is an emotional wreck. He's just experienced a violent earthquake. His jail is falling down and he's a few minutes away from wanting to kill himself or be executed by his superiors. And then there's this relief, this massive relief of discovering that all the prisoners are still there. But how's he going to keep them there? I don't really think in this moment he is asking Paul and Silas to explain the gospel of Jesus because he's rather curious about the message that they were preaching earlier or please tell me about those songs that you were singing or please tell me about the prayers that you were praying. I don't think he's curious about that at all. He's not inquiring in this moment about church membership. This is a desperate man asking, what am I going to do now in this world? Because my world is literally falling out. The bottom has fallen out of my world and what am I going to do, Paul and Silas? This jailer is under immense pressure and he's panicking. He has no idea what's going to happen. How's he going to save his own skin? But our missionaries, Paul and Silas, seem to have something going for them because they can respond to a cruel and an unjust punishment with such calm and confidence and still find it within themselves to pray and sing and worship. You see, Paul knows whatever the situation and whatever the motivation for this man's question, he knows that there is only one answer. And that answer is Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's always the friend's first answer. This is the answer that he's offered to the jailer. When he says, Sir, as he says those words, Sir, I can imagine Paul saying, This is how, through Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You see, the details can be sorted out later. But the first thing for the jailer, the first thing for me, and the first thing for you is to believe Jesus. That's what the first Christians always say. Read through the rest of the book of Acts and you'll see that that's the case. These words, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, they appear over and over again. You see, Paul doesn't say to the jailer, my friend, you're a little bit wound up. You don't need to make a decision now. Just calm down and we can talk about your relationship with Jesus later. He doesn't say that. He doesn't sign him up to do a new membership course first or to sign up to do a church program first. He doesn't give him a booklet to tell him to go and read and come back when he's read it. You see, Paul is serious about his faith. And he says to this jailer, 
believe in Jesus. Because there is no other answer. And that belief is encouraged without any understanding on the jailer's part. You see, there was a call, a commitment, and the rest can be worked out later. The jailer just had to come forward as he is. See, Luke doesn't tell us that Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and and to all in their house. But it couldn't have taken long because the jailer and his family were baptized before the sun came up. This whole family had offered their lives to Jesus. This whole family had committed their ways to following Jesus because they believed in him in less than five hours. Now, we don't know what happens afterwards. But I could imagine the, that the jailer was then given an opportunity to then learn more about Jesus and to grow his newfound faith rather than having to get it all sorted out before he could be baptized. Friends, we don't need to sort out anything. The invitation to you and I today is just to believe in Jesus right now. Right now. Wherever we are gathering for worship. See, friends, this is the story of a man who is panicking a man who is under immense pressure, who had to reach to the end of his own resources, who was so close to the end of his tether that he was prepared to kill himself. And he was offered the same invitation that he's offered to you and I, to simply believe Jesus as a way of discovering a new life, a lasting source of comfort, one of immense peace. And so I ask myself and I ask you this morning, how about us? As we gather for worship this Sunday, are we like that jailer? Are we struggling with the jobs and the demands of our jobs? Are we struggling that things haven't gone our way in this life? Are we scared of the consequences around the corner? Maybe we're just trying to cope on our own and things aren't going so well. Maybe we're anxious about our friends and our family and and those we share life with. Maybe we're under pressure because of our situation right now. Maybe financially or health-wise or your relationship. Maybe we're panicking because we don't know what the future holds for us. Maybe you're emotionally wrung out at the moment and you just don't know where to turn. But even in the midst of everything that's going on, you and I want to be saved from all this hassle and all the problems. And the invitation is open to us, just like it was for that jailer. We find ourselves in our own prisons, and we are stuck there sometimes serving life sentences. 
But Jesus wants to come and break in and set us free. But do we believe in Jesus? I know some of you may say, well, Quinn, that's all a bit simplistic. It is also a bit dishonest calling people uh, of faith, um, calling them out when they're feeling vulnerable and things aren't going well. But friends, it's in these moments in our lives, in these prison moments, when we need to hold on to our faith like never before. It's then that we need to hang on to something. It's then when we need support of someone, someone beyond ourselves, and that someone is Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. A couple of weeks ago, I read a quote by St. Augustine who says these words. He says, We do not seek to understand so that we might believe. We believe that we might understand. You see, friends, that jailer, unless he was some kind of theological or philosophical genius, genius, could never have understood the entire gospel in a couple of hours. He believed. And then he grew on his faith journey. My dad passed away uh, last year uh, during COVID. And him and I used to really enjoy sharing and listening to music together. And, and as I was preparing, I thought of the lyrics to a very unusual song for me. But it was one that uh, dad introduced to me. And it was a song called, I Came to Believe, which was written and sung by Johnny Cash. It's on the last album that Cash ever recorded, just before his death. You see, Cash knew that he was dying, and, and you can hear the emotion and the faith in his voice as he sings. You see, Johnny Cash lived a very checkered life, constantly battling with his inner demons and his habits and his dependencies that would never let him go till the very end. But he knew that he needed help, and, to, and he needed to get by, and, and that help, he realized, was in Jesus. And so Cash sings these words in that song, and he says, In childlike faith I give in, and gave him a try. In childlike faith I gave in, and I gave him a try. And I wonder if we can hold on to those words for ourselves today. A childlike faith, I gave in, and I gave him a try. See, it worked for Johnny Cash, it's worked for the jailer in Philippi. It's worked for tens of millions of people across the world throughout centuries. It can work for us if we prepared in those prison moments, to pray prayers and to sing songs in absolute faith because we believe in Jesus. You see, friends, Paul and Silas are saying to us today, Church, will you pray and worship? Will you share the good news and sing those songs of praises? 
In closing, I want to share that I've been reading a book uh, about Bishop Peter's story, and it's a book called I Beg to Differ, where story tells about an encounter in a South African prison uh, during the apartheid time. And, and Bishop's story was asked to visit a man who was in prison uh, for opposing apartheid. Uh, and it took a lot of effort, as you can imagine, for him to get permission. But finally, he was granted an opportunity to visit this man. And while he and the man spoke, a prison guard remained in the cell the whole time. And as they were ending the visit, story said to the God that we're going to have a time of communion. And as we know, here in our beautiful Methodist church, communion is extended to everyone. And so the prisoner and the God sat at the table together, and they shared communion. Having accomplished this act of defiance, story then stretched the journey, the faith journey, a little bit further and he said that we always hold hands for prayer. And so the God looks, but eventually he reaches out his hand. And there they were, in a prison cell. A prisoner, the jailer, and the one called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, standing hand in hand, together. Friends, it is always in those unsuspecting places in our lives where we are called as people of faith to continue writing the X29 story. God's story will always bring comfort, but it will also make us uncomfortable. God asks us to love one another, different as we all are. God asks us to care for one another regardless of our differences. God is asking us, to live in peace, even with those whom sometimes we disagree. Life can be disturbing and challenging, but it can also be beautiful at the same time. And so may you and I have the courage to break free from our own prisons that we find ourselves in and find ourselves praying and singing, praying and singing to the glory of God always. Amen.